The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. In our last episode, Your Excellency spoke about this period 1914 to the present day and the growth and rise of secularism and how it's become normalized in our society when it's quite aberrant and and completely opposed to, to Christianity. In this episode, I wanted to take a look at two different authors that you think are important to help us understand how to react to what's around us. And the first is Father Dennis Fahey. And his frame for understanding things is organized naturalism versus organized supernaturalism. And I'm reminded that uh, Father Chicago once said we were the disorganized forces of supernaturalism. (laughs) 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 But that happy memory of Father Chicago aside, what does this mean, organized naturalism versus organized supernaturalism? Well, first, naturalism is the system that would say that we are essentially like animals. That we are born, we have a life here, we eat, we drink, we uh, reproduce, and uh, go about our daily functions, which are higher than animals, we might say. But nonetheless, we come to old age and die, and we are forgotten about. In most cases, we're cremated, and that's that. Uh, We're gone, just like you would cremate an animal's body. So therefore, that is the purpose of life, is to make the most of your natural life. Naturalism comes from ultimately the Renaissance, where the human race looked back upon the pagan world, which was naturalistic, with a certain uh, longing and a certain delight. And uh, that gave rise to Protestantism. It gave rise to all of the what we call unbelief during the 17th and 18th centuries, gave rise to the French Revolution, all of the social changes and governmental changes. The French Revolution gave rise to socialism and communism and all of the evil things that are going on today. That is all the effect of naturalism. Opposed to that is supernaturalism, which says that the purpose of human life is to glorify God. And by glorifying God and obedience to his commandments, we can hope for a supernatural life in heaven. So that this world is simply a world of test whereby we must prove to God that we love him, we must obey his commandments, we must do penance for our sins and for the sins of others, we must profess the religion that he has revealed in order to save us from this world of sin. Because don't forget, naturalism is fallen nature. See, we do not have perfect, unwounded nature. We have a nature that is wounded by original sin, and therefore we have tendencies to think things and do things which are evil. So if you look around the world and you see all the evil in it, it is due to original sin because human beings would not sink to what they sink to without those evil inclinations from original sin. Animals act according to their nature and are good naturalists because that's all they have. They always do the same thing. Insects always act in the same way. Dogs and cats are very predictable in the way they act. Uh, But human beings have this penchant for evil. 
this penchant to hurt each other and, and hatred and cruelty, which puts naturalism you know, in a whole different light because it's fallen nature that is, how would you say, extolling itself and extolling its own vices. So as Father Fahey is saying that these are the two systems, operating systems, you might say, to use a common term, a computer term, operating systems of the world, that, that either it is the mystical body of Christ, as he says, uh, the Catholic Church, drawing men to another world, or naturalism drawing men down to this world and feeding them with the idea that giving in to all of your, the inclinations of original sin is the way that you're going to be happy. I think when I first read Father Fahey, I was in my early 20s, Your Excellency, and I was so surprised to think of there being organized forces of naturalism. I think I had just chalked it up to in the indifference of the world. But when you realize that there is an organized system against our Lord, then you see it as preparation for the Antichrist. And just as there was preparation for our Lord with the prophets and ultimately St. John the Baptist, that Antichrist has to be prepared for as well. And we see this in the growth of these universal organizations, be it the UN, be it the WHO, which we saw recently in action for the so-called pandemic. Do you see these organizations and do you see the possibility of a preparation for Antichrist? Yes, the Antichrist could not come into a world or be accepted by a world that was not already prepared for it. Just as Christ could not come into the world except amongst the people who were prepared for him, and that was the whole reason for the covenant with Abraham and then the the law of Moses and the thousands of years of preparation for Christ. And the Jews were meant to receive Christ and extol him, and many of them did, as the holy apostles, our lady, etc., but many did not. So also what has to be broken down in for an Antichrist, a world government, someone who will organize the whole world in the same way that Christ has organized the whole world through his mystical body, the Catholic Church, there must be a breakdown of what we call the nation states. And what you're seeing now is instead of a solid line of borders, you're seeing a dotted line of borders between countries. You see uh, all these migrations that are being pushed by the left. You see, there's no, why now? Why after all these years are people migrating from one place to another? This is all being done by the left in order to do away with the typical European races, which each has a, 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 you know, a special quality. In other words, the, the Germans are known for one thing, the French, the English, the Italians. That is all going to be erased by all of this migration, which is going to just make Europe into just a whole different place. The same thing with our own country and various other countries. The idea is that it's all one big planet. There are no real distinctions between one race and another, one nationality or another. It's all one big thing. So that has been done. Also, there has to be obedience school, and we just had that with the pandemic. And I think there's strong evidence that the pandemic was a pandemic. But in any case, whatever it was, it was an opportunity for them to have obedience school. And that is a dictatorship, things that were beyond the legislative power, if you noticed. Just a dictator like Fauci or one of these other people in the various countries just saying, you must do this, you must do that, going far beyond their powers. And where we learn to obey or face some very serious sanctions, that's uh, just as dogs go to obedience school, we had to go to obedience school. 
I think you will probably see more of those already that uh, Bill Gates said, you know, we have to prepare for the next pandemic. Well, how does he know there's going to be a next pandemic? Yeah, we haven't he had... was giggling as he said it. Yes. And there was, uh, you know, he, he talked about in, in October, I saw a video of him and other potentates, you might say, financial and industrial potentates, a whole conference of the coming pandemic in October of 2019. I mean, I saw the video. I saw yeah, the speeches. Event, event 201. Yes. and uh, Coincidence, Your Excellency. It's just a pure coincidence. And then by January, you know, we have the masks on, practically, <laughs> you know. So, you know, for him to say that, well, we have to prepare for the next pandemic. Well, how do you know? You know, what next pandemic? We haven't had a pandemic since the Middle Ages. So in any case, that's the difference between the two orders, you know, the naturalistic order. And yes, the world needs to be prepared. I think the Antichrist will come as a result of some sort of figure that will save the world from general destruction of a nuclear war. You can see down the line, Russia and China siding up against the United States and Western Europe. And I think it's almost inevitable. And if those two entities clash, you could have a major war that would devastate the whole planet. The only winners, I think, would be South America and Africa. <laughs> they, <laughs> They'd become the hot new places to live. But I mean, there's clouds of radioactive dust blowing around the whole planet, too. And so they might not be exempt. I mean, that's... Uh, I think the United States has something like 5,000 nuclear warheads, and Russia has a very similar amount. Uh, and then all the other countries have their own warheads. That's a lot of nuclear dust. So, you know, the idea of losing everything, we're all going to die. And then somebody does something that puts everybody at peace. I think people will be so afraid because people are moved by fear. They will be so afraid that they will submit to a world government under what will be the Antichrist. I also think that the modern religions, and particularly the Novus Ordo, but everybody that shares the same ideas as the Novus Ordo, humanitarianism and uh, dogmaless humanitarianism, they will you know, contribute to this. They will encourage people to submit to the Antichrist. They will, they, they will applaud him as some sort of great religious figure because everyone will, be, will have lost any notion of dogma. Uh, religion would just be something that will improve humanity. You see, we, that's Bergoglio's whole point. Uh, even his dedication to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and or you know, it's all for peace between Russia and Ukraine. It's all humanity oriented. I don't think he is doing this in order that the Russian Orthodox Church convert to the Roman Catholicism. Of course, he's not doing that. That would be solemn nonsense. Here, yes, that would be solemn nonsense. This is for peace. You see, and it's not for the conversion of Russia. And anybody who thinks that is kidding himself and is living in a fantasy world. So everything is for humanity. It's all humanity. And, and you see that in Bergoglio. So the religions of the world that are woke will just chime in and say, everybody's got to get into this big thing. Now, that's my opinion. Well, you're talking about Event 201. And again, continuing the frame of organized naturalism versus organized supernaturalism, the church has events of triumph. So Lepanto, the Crusades, canonization of a saint some great victory in a country. Uh, this was a great victory for the organized forces of naturalism. What was? This pandemic, getting oh, everyone yes, to wear yes. masks, getting everyone to be afraid yes. and split from their families and become grandma killers and, yes, and everything like yes. that. This was a great leap forward for them. To finish up this segment on Father Fahey, I'll read from his book, The Kingship of Christ and Organized Naturalism. Needless to say, the efforts of these anti-supernatural forces do not suffice to account for everything in history. 
for the causes of historical events are very complex. But if these forces are left out of account, modern history becomes a puzzle. The art of maneuvering human beings towards a certain goal without their being aware that they are being so maneuvered has been brought to a pitch of perfection never before attained. The control of money facilitates the acquisition of power to influence all the technical agencies for the formation of public opinion, the press, the radio, and the cinema. Catholics succumb to the machinations of our Lord's enemies largely because they are not trained for the real struggle in the world. They leave school without adequate knowledge of the organized opposition they will have to meet and having very hazy notions about the points of social organization for which they must stand and against which attacks are being directed. They do not realize that the opposition's ultimate aim is the disruption of Christ's order. They are not accustomed to think that they must cooperate with other young Catholics for our Lord's program, that they must, for example, get control of the cinema and prevent it from undermining the Catholic concept of marriage and Catholic family life. Thus, they display a lamentable lack of cohesion and pitiable want of enthusiasm for Christ's interests, so that Catholics that stand for integral Christianity can always count on other Catholics in the opposite camp. And his saying that the control of money facilitates the acquisition of power whenever he was writing this, right? <laughs> 1920s, 1930s, yes. Money is power, and the people that have a great deal of it are in power. To complement Father Fahey, we have Monsignor de la Sousse, and I would say you're the great champion of Monsignor de la Sousse in the English-speaking world. Your Excellency, I only heard about him through you, and if people have listened to the conferences on Roman Catholic media or any of your sermons, you, you brought him up on numerous occasions. So what is his complementary system to Father Fahey? Yes, he was a uh, Monsignor, not a bishop, but a Monsignor. Uh, I think he was made it by Pius X himself. Pius X had a great admiration for Monsignor de la Suisse. And he was from the Diocese of Cambrai, which is northern France, if I'm not mistaken. And he wrote some excellent works against the modern world. The best is his... In French, la conjuration anti-chrétienne, the anti-Christian conspiracy. That is a life-changing book. It was for me. It's three volumes and gives the entire history of this humanism, naturalism. He sees the world as a conflict of two civilizations. The ancient paganism, the pre-Christian paganism, and then Christianity. And whereas it's true that Christianity overcame the paganism almost entirely for perhaps a thousand years, there was a rebirth of the paganism in the Renaissance, and the history of the world has been a gradual growth of this rebirth of paganism that wants to snuff out Christianity. And by Christianity, we mean Catholicism. And that there are two civilizations, because Catholicism produces a civilization and paganism produces a civilization, if we could call it that. That means a, an ordering of the world where certain things are considered to be precious and good and right. That's a civilization, you might say, or a culture might be better. Whatever people commonly consider to be beautiful, correct, good, moral, is, is their culture. And these two things battle one against the other. And that's his general theme. And he points out all of the ways in which the modern world has eroded the Catholic civilization. If he were alive today, he would be, I think he would be in this, it would be with us, I have no doubt. And so what is his way of understanding, and I would say complementing Father Fahey as opposed to opposing Father Fahey? 
I think they're saying essentially the same thing. Uh, Saint, uh, Saint, uh, Monsignor Lassus sums up his, his whole point by saying these, these two civilizations have two mottos. The motto of the pagan and neo-pagan world is enjoy. The motto of the Christian world is merit. So he says, the pagans just see this life as the only human life. You die just like a squirrel dies or a, or a dog dies. And nothing happens. You're dead. And so you have to enjoy this world as much as you can. That's the whole purpose of life is getting as much of this world as you can and enjoying it. Well, you know what that leads to. That's exactly the kind of world we live in. Money, sex, food entertainment, leisure, everything that is excessive and even disgusting in human behavior. We read about the morals of the ancient pagans that we are horrified, but that is the principle. If it feels good, tastes good, whatever it is, then do it and do it as much as you can because you have to absorb as much enjoyment in this life as you possibly can. That's what animates that civilization, you might say. On the other hand, the Christian civilization is one that looks forward to a permanent home, a permanent home that is heaven, the beatific vision, which must be merited, that is, which requires work, which requires sacrifice, just as war does or any kind of great accomplishment in this life. It requires a great deal of effort, and therefore all of our activity is dictated by this effort that we must make in order to merit eternal salvation. And so that is a completely different ordering of society and law and everything about our culture and what we consider right and good and precious and desirable. So Father Fahey and Monsignor de la Sus are very similar in that. It is naturalism versus supernaturalism. It is the city of God versus the city of man. It's all the same. It's the devil versus God. It, it, to put it, you know, however you want to see it, but that's what it boils down to. And uh, God has permitted this battle for the human race between himself and the devil precisely for the purpose that human beings prove their love of him, love of God. They prove it. He permits us to be tempted. He permits us to have obstacles in front of us in order that we merit, just as the soldier who is very brave on the battlefield, merits a medal more than someone who stays in the back because he's fearful. See, so the next time you're in a restaurant and the waitress says to you, enjoy, you can say back, merit. <laughs> no, I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> she might ask uh, for a further clarification, and then you can tell her about Monsignor Delis's. Now, That's not to say that we can't enjoy life. We don't have to live like hermits in a cave or something like that. We can enjoy life, but always within the boundaries of the moral law. And then also we have the invitation to enjoy life less in, in religious life and you know, to give up things. There's a, just as in any organization, anytime there's merit available, there is great merit. There is the Congressional Medal of Honor, for example, for people who have extraordinary courage in battle, and other medals which are less important and show a, a reward for lesser merit, but nonetheless, so that there is a sort of an open-ended merit, an open-ended love of God, open-ended sacrifice for God's interests and uh, for reparation for sin.
Well, I think you've said before, it is possible to merit having some ice cream if you're doing your state of life. Yes, I always say that to the seminarians. You see, the, the Dominicans say, the Thomists say that any good act that you'd perform in the state of grace is meritorious. So I always tell the seminarians, eating a bowl of ice cream is meritorious if you're in the state of grace, but it's not very meritorious. <laughs> and something is more meritorious the more effort it requires. That's the general principle. So that's why people get promoted in business to get medals in the, in the military because they put in more merit, excuse me, more merit. That's why you get higher marks. Some people get higher marks and lower marks in school because there's more merit. Uh, Olympics, there's, there's more. Why someone might become a monsignor. Y- yes. You know, uh, promotions, uh, to, you know, it, it, the world is, is full of merit, although that's a bad word today. Meritocracy, <laughs> oh, evil. But it's an inevitable thing in human existence. As we did with the segment on Father Fahey, I'll end with a quote from one of the books of Monsignor de la Sousse, La Conjuration Antichrétienne. To think that in the order which we have just described, there was no disorder, and Monsignor is referring to the Middle Ages, we would certainly be deceived. The ancient spirit, the spirit of the world which our Lord had anathematized, was never, and will never be, completely vanquished and annihilated. Always, even in the best times, and when the church obtained its greatest influence over society, there were men of joy and men of prey. But families were seen to rise according to their virtues or decline because of their vices. People were seen to distinguish themselves one from another by their civilization and the degree of civilization taken from the dominant aspirations in each nation. They ascended when these aspirations were purified and elevated. They went into decline when their aspirations led them to pleasures and selfishness. However, Whether nations, families, or individuals abandoned themselves to the instincts of nature or resisted them, the Christian ideal remained inflexibly maintained in the sight of all by Holy Church. The enthusiasm which was implanted in society by Christianity began to wane, we have already said, in the 13th century. The liturgy makes note of it, and the facts demonstrate it. First it came to a halt, then it went into reverse. This reversal, or rather this new orientation, was soon so obvious that it received a name, the Renaissance, the rebirth from the pagan point of view of the idea of civilization, and with the reversal came the decay. And so here, Ecstasy Monsignor de la Sousse doesn't say, oh, you know, it was fine until the 1950s, 1850s, 1750s. It's been a long time. And as he says, it's going backward. I actually think we're past, (laughs) we're going past the time. (laughs) Because the pagan world was pre-Christian. They had never heard of the magnificent preaching of Christ. Our pagan world is post-Christian. They have heard it and they have rejected it. And that's far, far worse. The pre-Christian world was just given over to filth and wanton enjoyment. But nonetheless, they had some sort of opening, obviously, to hearing the message of Christ. They had never heard those things before. And they saw them as beautiful. And the pagan world also had a sense of beauty. We see the classical architecture and the classical art. They had a sense of beauty and of reality. The modern world loves ugliness. It loves the hideous. All modern art is hideous, and people enjoy it and pay money for it. Our world is perverted. It's sick. It's upside down. It's inside out. And so it has an intrinsic aversion to the gospel. The pagan world of ancient times did not have that aversion. And yes, he's absolutely right. I put the end of the Middle Ages at the early 1300s when the lieutenant of Philip the Fair, King of France, grandson of St. Louis, slapped Boniface VIII in the face. 
That was the end of the Middle Ages. That was the end of Christendom. And for the history of the world from the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, all the way up, is one decline from the Christian order, as he says, with imperfections, no doubt, but the Christian order in principle, down to the order of the devil, which we have now. That's the only way to put it. That we've just gone downhill from century to century, and the biggest single event in that terrible downhill road was Vatican II, because the Catholic Church was the bulwark against this decline. And with Vatican II, the gates were open to all of the rot of the modern world, and the Catholic Church became, through the modernists that are occupying it, because I won't call that the Catholics, you have to be careful here, as the modernists are using the Catholic Church as a type of manure spreader to spread all of this humanistic, anti-dogma attitude of the modern world to Catholics, corrupting Catholics, so that now you could, it's just a handful there's less than 1%, far less than 1% of those who call themselves Catholic who actually can identify doctrinally with their ancestors, with their Catholic ancestors. That is the situation that we're in. There's a tiny number of people who could say, I hold the same faith, I hold the same dogmas as dogmas. Those, I hold them firmly. A very small number who identify with the same faith as their ancestors, even their parents or grandparents. That's how bad it is. That's how quickly it all disappeared because the Vatican II put in place these modernist monsters in the Vatican who undertook these changes and used all of the, the dogmatic prestige, you might say, of the Catholic Church to indoctrinate people with these false doctrines and false ideas. Now, I think Father Fahey is quite available, his text in, in English, obviously, because he wrote in English, but is Monsignor de la Sousa available in translation? No one ever translated that work. What you read, actually, is my own translation of, of that part of Monsignor de la Sousa for my course. I have a course in Modern Errors. But the work is a magnificent work. It ought to be translated one day because, as I said, it's life-changing. You see the whole thing after you have read Monsignor de la Sousa. Well, that might be recent enough for some people to learn French, then, Your Excellency. I always say that French is the second ecclesiastical language after Latin, and if you hope to be any kind of serious student of theology, you must learn French. Well, thank you for sharing the thoughts and mind of these churchmen, Your Excellency, and thank you for this series. Thank you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.